In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We can all think of situations in which we have experienced excessive generosity. When someone did something that was way too generous. These situations really overturn things for us. We think that we need to do something in return to be a bit more worthy of the gift. Why do we have that feeling? Because our worth is tied up in it. We think that we receive only what we are worthy of or deserve or what we have earned or worked for. And when we receive excessive generosity, it really shakes us. I'm not worthy of this. This doesn't work. This is because the idea of exchange is deeply entrenched in our life. I give and then I receive, or vice versa. I do my job, I get paid. I provide for my spouse or child, and he or she gives me love. I exercise or diet, and I become fit or lose weight. I take my friends out for meals or drinks, and they reciprocate. I do a good work, and good things are supposed to come my way. There are so many phrases that we use to describe this. Quid pro quo, karma, give and get. Everything in society around us teaches us that our value is in our output. I am as good, as worthwhile as what I can produce or how well I can produce. My value is in my output. Isn't this true? As Christians, we tend to correlate this quite easily to all of the spiritual life. I am a good Christian. I am loved and valued by God if I pray, I go to church, I give to the poor, etc., etc. And as Orthodox, that list of things to do is a whole lot longer. I place my value in my output, in this case, my spiritual output. Most of us have experienced the crisis when the equation doesn't add up. In a job where you just can't seem to do well or get your supervisor's good praise. A child that you just can't seem to parent well. A failed attempt at a diet or exercise plan. A friend who feels abandoned by you. All of these situations cry out to us, you really are incompetent. You're a failure. You don't deserve what you have. Our life is constantly punctuated by these crises, climbing and then falling. Like an unstable internal stock market, our valuation fluctuates wildly. $20, $600, $5, $300. We want to give ourselves value to not be worthless, but we keep facing our failures and then plunge into the abyss. Today I want to offer you a profoundly different perspective. One where your value is not based upon your output, where your self-worth is no longer a raging stock market going up and down, up and down. But I have to give you a warning. The perspective that I offer, you cannot follow as long as you value yourself by your output. As long as you equate your worth with what you produce, you will not be able to follow this perspective. So I offer you a perspective, but also a choice. In confession, I so often hear people say, I don't feel God's love. This is such a prevalent perspective. I don't feel God's love. We want God's love, but we feel empty. And we see all around us the markers of this, and anxiety and depression and loneliness. 
We try to pursue God, but it's unwittingly within the framework of my output is my value. If I fast better, God will love me. If I can stop getting angry at my kids, if I can stop gossiping, if I can be more patient, if I can judge people less, if I can stop looking at indecent images on the internet, if I can be peaceful toward my co-workers, if I can stop drinking or smoking, God will love me. He won't be angry with me anymore. We have all these if, if, if. But we keep on falling into sin. We feel that God is angry, that He doesn't love me. In Psalm 138, 139, the psalmist says, You possess my heart, O Lord. You took hold of me from my mother's womb. Your eyes saw me when I was unformed. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. In this psalm, we are once again reminded that, as St. John said in his first epistle, God loved us first. His love is the cause of our existence. So His love is not affected by our own human actions, good or bad. You see, His love is before. So what happens after doesn't affect what came before. We also see in the psalm how gratitude is related to God's love. We must reject that poisonous way of thinking. Thinking that my value is in my output. Gratitude is the key to experiencing God's love. When we see the magnitude of what God has done for us individually, we begin to understand our immense value in His eyes. We see that God's love for us is totally unrelated to what we do. Again, God's love for us is totally unrelated to what we do. From our mother's womb, He has taken hold of us, as the psalmist says. And He will not let go no matter what we do. Later in the same psalm, He says this, Where can I go from Your Spirit, or where can I flee from Your presence? If I ascend into heaven, You are there. If I make my bed in hell, You are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there Your hand shall lead me, and Your right hand shall hold me. God's love for us is constant. And gratitude reveals God's love. However, when we put our value in our output, we so, so we we put our value in our output, and we want to show God and everyone else how we are the ones who did it, how we are worthy. Instead of saying thank you, God, we say I did it. Ironically, this is so often the way in which we try to pursue God's love. We say, look, God, I did this thing. Aren't you happy with me? And we try harder and harder to please God with our output. And we also keep failing to and feeling that God is displeased with us. You see, when we say, I did it, this is actually a hindrance to God's love, to experiencing God's love, rather. This is the choice that I mentioned before. The path that I'm offering is not a path you can take if you continue to see your value in your output. You must choose to stop saying, I did it, and to stop putting your value there. God is already happy with you. God already loves you. And this cannot be taken away from you. The proof of this love is in His innumerable gifts given. After all, who gives gifts except the one who loves? However, the proof, his innumerable gifts, 
remains largely hidden to most of us. Why? Because it's precisely these gifts that we foolishly attribute to ourselves. Our skills, our qualities, our aptitudes. Thus we steal away God's beneficence. We become, they become no longer gifts from God which prove His love for us. And instead, they become our pathetic attempt at earning God's love by producing spiritual output. Do you see this? What happens is we take God's gifts, we say that they're ours, and then we try to do good works with them and give them to God to try and earn His love. But we have moved away from seeing God's love. Why? Precisely because we took those gifts away from being God's gifts and made them ours, our qualities. God, God's gifts given to us are proof of His unconditional love. And instead of seeing His love through this, we try to earn His love by taking the same gifts and using them. So how do we get out of the framework of my value is my output? By seeing all of God's gifts. Turning my into your. Everything that is my, turning it into your. This means attributing nothing to ourselves, but everything to God. This is the path of humility, this is the path of gratitude, and this will reveal to you the thing which you desire to experience God's love. Then we can be like the leper in today's gospel, who turns towards God giving thanks. We must say in the gospel, it all is very obvious. We look at those ungrateful nine lepers and we say, how could they not give thanks to God? How could they not do this? When this great outpouring of generosity and healing has been given by God. But we do this day in and day out. Day in and day out, we are totally unaware of the gifts that God has given us. Why? And partly because we choose to make them ours instead of saying that they're God's. Think of it. Take a stock of your entire life in the context of God's gifts. Imagine, for example, a big work project that you completed and you were praised for it. Instead say, I didn't do that. That was God's. He gave me intelligence, tenacity, or whatever else I was praised for. He gave it to me. It was all His gifts given to me for no good reason except His love for me. His limitless love is the reason that I have these gifts. I didn't deserve those qualities. I didn't earn the successful work project. I deserve nothing, and yet He has given me everything that I have because He loves me. Imagine everything in our life within that lens. You see how profoundly this changes the way we look at things. The stock market of our own valuation disappears. Our value is fixed. We can never be worthless because we exist. That's the simple proof. I can't be worthless because I exist. He made me, therefore I have value, I have worth. The choice is clear. Can we really give up on the I did it? Can we really begin to see that everything we have, everything we are, came from God? If so, then we can begin also to see our true worth, our eternal value. And the choice is yours.
At this time, I'd like to do something a little bit different and say a few additional words that are totally unrelated to the homily. That was the homily there. I wanted to talk briefly about something that's been on my mind this past week. Our parish has resided at 14485 Southwest Walker Road for nearly 15 years. And the majority of you, for the majority of you, this is the only location you've ever known of St. John. And for some of you, it's the only Orthodox Church you've ever been a part of. Now we're on the cusp of a big change. The future has uncertainty and we strive together to envision what things will look like in five or ten years, how our community will be. While this thought gives some in our community exhilaration and excitement, thinking of the possibilities, for others of us, it's a time of mourning. Mourning the loss of what has become so familiar. If you talk to some of the longtime families in our parish, they'll tell you about the good old days in the catacomb church, or the first years of moving here when the community was so united, when everyone was putting in a hand. In their voice, you'll hear a touch of sadness as well, along with the nostalgia, because the face of the community has changed in so much, so many ways in the intervening years. Now we know that our community is still active, our community is still spiritually grounded, it still has many positive attributes from those earlier days, yet one must also recognize that change has occurred. The community has become larger and we have continued welcoming the lost sheep from Portland's west side. Some of you are those lost sheep who are wandering in the wild and came and finally found pasture here. We as a community will continue to welcome the lost sheep as long as God keeps sending them to us because this ultimately is our purpose. But I wanted to say something. It's okay to mourn. The familiarity of your surroundings will be changing and the face of our community will continue to transform. I know that this is hard and the thought of our parish community growing significantly is hard to comprehend. But take confidence in this. As long as we keep our fidelity to God, He will bless us. We don't know what those blessings will be. Just as the longtime families couldn't have known 15 years ago the blessings of the community that we now have. In this coming year, I just want you to know that I understand, I know that change is hard, and I know that there will need to be an aspect of saying goodbye. If you want to talk about it, I'm here. More importantly, offer your sorrow to God. Say to Him, I don't know what it will be like in the future, but I bring to you all of my uncertainty, and I ask you to heal this. And He will in time give you that peace that, that surpasses all understanding. So I just wanted to say briefly, it is okay to mourn. It is okay to see that our community will change and that that's a hard thing to go through. But we do this together. I'll offer a little bit of strengthening. This is from Elder Sophronia of Essex, soon to be Saint Sophronia of Essex. He says, It's difficult to build a church today. It will rouse up all the demons. He then proceeded to tell a parable that he had heard in Russia. Once someone went to hell, but there he wanted a church where he could pray. 
Despite his sinfulness, he loved God and wanted to pray. He began to measure the space to lay the foundations. A demon asked him what he was doing, and he replied, I want to build a holy church in order to pray. The demon responded that it was impossible to build a church in hell. And he tried harder to hinder him. Then he called other demons, and they were unable as well. They mentioned it to their leader, and then they gathered many demons and threw him out of hell, so that he might not build the church. And St. Sophroni continued, Thus we, as well, thus we as well build churches in order to transform hell into paradise. And even if we are unsuccessful in this, we will succeed in the devil not accepting us in hell. Amen.